0: Well, three weeks ago, just want to remind us very quickly, I know that many of us are fully aware of this, but three weeks ago we watched as Christ began addressing the subject of money and the things of this earth, and he said to the disciples, not just to fill in space, but because they needed the reminder as much as anyone would need the reminder that they did not need to lay up for themselves treasures on this earth, but rather they needed to lay up treasures in heaven. And we talked about how the only way that you can lay up treasures in heaven is when you invest in the lives of people. And the only way that you can invest in the lives of people is with your time and with your money. Those are the only resources that you can give to others that will have any kind of eternal value. And I want to remind us tonight that talking about investing is never good enough for the investment. You know, It would be like me saying, well, me and my wife have been talking about putting away money for the retirement. Well, it's good that we've talked about it, but at some point we've got to put some feet to those actions at some point we've got or some feet to those uh, words at some point we've got to do something and so uh, we have to invest in eternity by investing in the lives of people and we can only do that with our time and our money and then it was after that that we watched as Christ spoke about the eye and he was not talking about the physical eye but rather how if the eye is single or if the eye is clear it will help us to see everything in this world the way that we need to see it but if the eye is damaged then Will not see anything the way we ought to see it, and this world will have control over us whether we mean for it to or not. And so, we need that single eye, we need that clear eye. And then, last week, we watched as uh, Christ spoke to them about the fact that it is impossible for us to serve two masters. And he said in the end of verse number 24, That you cannot serve God and mammon, it is impossible to render obedience or to yield yourself to the authority of God and to the authority of money and the authority of things. What is interesting or what I thought was interesting and is implied in this verse is this thought or this idea that at some point money is going to want to control you. It may not want to control you every day. It may not want to control you in every situation of life. But there are going to be times where money is going to want to control us. And so Christ just reminded the disciples, just, just no disciples, you cannot serve God and serve money at the same time. You cannot yield obedience to God and yield obedience to money at the same time. So he explained that it's impossible to do. And then he reminded them, which is most important by way of obedience, yield To the authority of God in your life because he said in verse 26 down through verse number 32, listen, the Lord's going to take care of your needs. God's going to give you the food. He's going to give you the shelter. He's going to give you the raiment. God is going to take care of you. It would be far better for you to obey God and not submit to the authority of money in your life. All right, so that's what we talked about last week. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Christ is just going to keep dealing with this subject, addressing it, and so tonight we're going to look at the final verses and the final thoughts. Familiar portion of Scripture to many of us, but real quick, I want to talk about something tonight that you can only truly understand if you've ever experienced it. I'm afraid that not everyone who has experienced it fully understands it, but I do know this, you cannot fully understand it until you have experienced it, And that is the love that a parent has for their child. That should be something that is indescribable until we've experienced it. Would you agree? I I think it's unfortunate, and we do live in a world like this, but it is unfortunate that there are many people who are, for lack of better words, dads and moms to children but they really don't have the love and affection for their children that they ought to have. It's not the way it was intended. That's certainly not the way it was designed. That is not the way it's supposed to be. And so I think you can have children and not love them the way that you're supposed to, but I don't believe that you can fully understand a parent's love for a child until you have become a parent. And so as I've mentioned before, I'm just going to mention very quickly, For Susie and I, it was a little over 17 years ago that God gave us Nathan, and it was an indescribable, overwhelming feeling of love the very moment we were able to hold him in our arms. It was just one of those things where 10 minutes prior to his birth, I I knew I was excited. I knew I was ready. I knew we were looking forward to this day. I knew it was something that we had talked about. From even before the time that we got married, Susie and I never had any idea or any intention of not having a family. We wanted a family, so we were excited about it. But 10 minutes prior to his birth, I didn't know exactly what it felt like to hold your child in your arms and to know that kind of love. And so as soon as Nathan was in the world and, and the doctor or the nurse, whoever it was, let me hold him, I, I just remember this, this overwhelming sensation and feeling of a love that I had never experienced before. When Hannah came along, when Leah came along, it was different because it wasn't the first time. But again, just an amazing sense of love that you really don't have for anyone else or anything else. Again, at least that's the way it should be. Now, having said that, I've learned something that many of you have learned already, and you could have said, or you could say to me, well, Kyle, I could have told you that, and that is this, as your children grow older, you do not love them less kind of frustrating sometimes because you'd like to distance yourself sometimes and say, you know what? No, I, I, I'm not going to. No. In our house, I, I, maybe I shouldn't speak on behalf of what it should be like, but I think that it should be this way. I, I think for us, we'd have to stand and say guilty of loving our children more now than when we first held them in our arms. And so, in light of that, a few days ago, I was visiting with Nathan. Susie and I were both visiting with Nathan, and and we have these moments at our house that we call life lesson moments. You know, the kids love them. It's like, oh, great, life lesson moment, yeah. Why did I say anything? I should have known that was going to trigger dad to say something or trigger mom to say something. So we were having this life lesson moment the other day, and we were talking, and And uh, I just said to Nathan, I said, Nathan, I want you to know something. That if we had the resources to do more for you, we would probably do it. And he said, really? And I said, well, yeah. Because I love him in a way that he cannot begin to understand. He doesn't really understand. I mean, I can tell him and I can tell the girls that me and mom are doing everything we can to provide everything for you that we can without spoiling you and making you worthless. He can hear those words, but he doesn't really fully understand what it means for a parent to be doing everything they can for their children and that if they had the ability or the resources they would do even more than they're doing right now. That being the case, my desire to do more for my children does hinge on one or two things. Attitude and actions. Would you agree? I would do more for my children Most likely, if I had the resources to do it. But the day they get the attitude and think they don't have to do what dad or mom tells them to do, should that day ever come, I don't have a problem at all pulling back on what is provided. Would you agree? Would you say, I concur with those thoughts, that that, hey I don't mind helping my kids out so long as there are certain attitudes in place and there are certain actions in place. But, you know, the the day Nathan or Hannah or Leah decides, you know what, Dad, Mom, uh, y'all are all right, but I don't need to do what y'all tell me to do, that'll be a day that they learn another life lesson. (laughs) Welcome to the real world. If you don't need our help, if you don't need our assistance, then I'll let you figure this out on your own, and we'll see how well that works out for you. We understand this idea, do we not? Hey, son, hey, daughter, I love you more than you could begin to know, and I will do everything within my power to give you everything you need, and if I had the resources to do more, I'd probably be gullible enough to do it so long as your attitude and your actions toward me and your mom are what they're supposed to be. Now tonight I want us to think about that principle as we look into this final portion of Scripture. Remember, if you would please, in verse number 25 Christ said this to the disciple, "'Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life.'" What does it mean in verse number 25 when he said, "'Take no thought for your life.'" It meant this, do not allow yourself to be anxious. Don't allow yourself to be concerned for the things of this world. He said, don't allow yourself to be anxious concerning what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body or what you shall put on. He said in verse number 25 is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment and then if you look over in verse number 20 or verse number 31 he says therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed so again in verse number 31 he says Don't allow yourself to be anxious about what you eat and what you drink or what you will be clothed with by way of raiment. So here on two specific occasions in a very short amount of time, in a very brief conversation, what does Christ tell the disciples? He says, disciples, don't allow yourself to be anxious about these things. Don't worry about these things. Now, we'll say more about this in just a moment, but here is Christ, and he is saying to a group of men, Hey, don't worry. Don't worry. And notice in verse number 34, he says again, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Here are three times in just a few short verses, in just a few short statements, that Christ said to the disciples Take no thought. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not fret. I wonder why Christ said three times to his disciples in such a short amount of time, don't be anxious, I wonder why he said it. I think he said it for a reason. I think he knew that even his disciples who were following him, even though they had seen the miracles, even though they had seen the provision, even though they had seen everything that God had done through Christ or Christ as God was able to do while on earth, I think Christ understood the nature of a fallen man, of a fallen woman, of a fallen child. He knew that many times it is our nature to worry, to be anxious. To let ourselves become concerned about life events. This evening I'm not going to ask if you've ever worried because I know the answer. But tonight I'd like us to think for just a moment how often do we worry? Because if we're honest, many of us would have to say we worry quite a bit or we allow ourselves to get anxious quite often or we allow ourselves to, to begin thinking about things that are somewhat down the road, that are somewhat in the future, and, and are we doing okay here? What is going to happen? Should this take place? And, and, and what's going to happen here? Whatever it may be, if we're honest tonight, every one of us would have to admit that there are times in life that we find ourselves going places in our thoughts, in our mind, that we really don't need to go. You can call it whatever you want. You can classify it however you choose to classify it. But for most of us, it's just worry or anxiety or concern. And notice what Christ said in verse number 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow. What is he saying? He's saying this, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, somebody may say, well, doesn't that conflict with what is said in other scriptures? Like, like go to the ant you sluggard and think about how they, they work ahead and they prepare when there will be no time to labor or no time to, to take in the fruit. Doesn't that conflict with what Christ has said or what the scripture has said in other places? Well, absolutely not. The scripture will not contradict itself. There is a time and there is a place for us to plan for the future, but there is never a time or a place for us to worry about the future. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with a man who had worked all of his life. He had worked hard for all of his things. I I mean, he was just one of those men. He had served in the military. After the military, he got out and he began to work in the oil industry, and he was involved in that for many years, and he had what he thought was his retirement in place until the Enron schedule, or the Enron uh, schedule. can't think of the right word, but the Enron bust scandal, that's what I was thinking of, uh, that took place, and he shared with me that overnight, basically, he lost 85% of his retirement. I'm saying this. It's fine for us to plan for the future but it is not appropriate for us to worry about the future. Easier said than done sometimes, is it not? I mean, I've found myself anxious. I've found myself worrying, and and I have found myself in those moments where my my thoughts are going directions and places that they probably ought not go, and I've had people say something like this, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Shut up. You know, I mean, that's what I want to say to him. Just shut up. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm struggling with. And and I know that there have been times of worry and concern in your life, and if I came to you and said, hey, don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. I know that you probably wouldn't say it out loud, but you'd possibly have some of the similar thoughts go through your head, like easier for you to say, Pastor, than to do it. You don't know what kind of stress I'm under. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what we're facing right now. But again, Christ said, hey, Don't be anxious for tomorrow. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. Why? Because he says in verse number 34, For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. You don't need to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will get here soon enough and tomorrow will take care of what needs to be taken care of then. It's kind of interesting how that works, isn't it? We're worried about what's happening in the future. We're worried about what's going to take place in the coming days or the weeks or the months, whatever it may be. And eventually it gets here, and more times than not, it's not as bad as we envisioned that it was going to be. But he said in verse number 34, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know why we really don't need to worry about the future? because we've got enough to deal with right now. I mean, if we would just be mindful of everything we need to be mindful about right now, I don't need to be worrying about what will take place in the future. I just need to, to focus on these things. I just need to focus on, on, on these things in, in front of me right now, just, just right here, what's in front of me. This is what I need to give my, my attention to and my thoughts to and my focus on. This is what I need to give myself to. There is enough going on right now. I don't need to be looking ahead and worrying about something else. So, here's three occasions where the Lord says, Take therefore no thought. Do not allow yourself to be anxious. Don't worry. Don't allow this to be a part of your life. And again, we know it, and yet we're still so guilty of doing it so many times. Now, this evening, knowing that we're prone to worry, we're prone to be anxious. I want us to think about something. I know I've mentioned this before, but, but, but think about this. There is something that our little tiny brains cannot begin to understand. We could sit here tonight and we could talk about it. We could hypothesize about it. We could discuss it. Some may wax eloquent about the subject. Others may kind of stumble through their thoughts But every one of us could talk about this, but at the end of the discussion, no one truly understands the love that God has for us as his children. Just like my kids cannot begin to understand my love for them, though they may say, yeah, I get it, Dad, you love me. Just as my children cannot begin to understand mine and Susie's love for them, you and I cannot truly begin to understand God's love for us. God loves us far more than our minds could ever imagine, far more, far more than our minds could ever grasp. I mean, God loves us so much, and he has said repeatedly already through the Scripture, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the drink. Don't worry about the raiment. Don't worry about the shelter. Do not worry about these things. He has said, essentially, I will take care of this. Now, Unlike for Susie and I, where we have a limit on our resources, God has no limit on his resources. So we have a heavenly father who loves us far more than our minds could ever imagine. And for God, there is no limit to his resources to give us exactly what we need when we need it to the degree we need it. There's only one catch attitude and actions. Follow this. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't let yourself be concerned about this. Don't allow yourself to stay up late at night thinking about this. Don't allow this to be the very first thing you think of in the mornings. Listen, I will take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to meet your needs. I will do it. There's only one thing that you've got to be worried about, and that's your attitude and your actions. Somebody says, isn't that too? Well, they tend to go together more times than not. Well, how do we know? Well, notice in verse number 3, he just says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Everything I need will be added to me if my attitude and my actions are right concerning these two things, the kingdom of God and the righteousness that I'm supposed to have. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means this, to seek or to pursue or to follow after the kingdom or the authority of God. It's thrilling, isn't it? What do I need to pursue in life? The authority of God in my life. Just as Nathan and Hannah and Leah need to know what my authority is and desire to submit to that authority, what I need to pursue in this life more than I pursue money, more than I pursue things, more than I pursue anything that this world has to offer, what I need to pursue is the authority of God in my life. God, what do you want from me? You seek his kingdom. You seek his authority. If you will seek God's authority, if you will seek his kingdom, if you will seek what he desires in your life, if you make it your number one priority and your number one goal in life, to know God's will for you, then you know what he promised to the disciples one more time? He promised them one more time, I will give you everything you need. And if you will not just seek my kingdom, but you will seek my righteousness, then I will give you everything you need. If you will pursue my righteousness, and then, of course, as you pursue his kingdom and his righteousness and you apply it to your life, that is going to... For lack of better words, even though it's not as we've got to earn it, but it will motivate and it will, it will make possible for God to fulfill or to come through with the promises he's given to make sure that every need is met. Again, it's not that we have to motivate God, but the thing is this, just like my kids don't have to motivate me, you know, whenever their attitude is right, whenever their actions are right, when they're seeking to do exactly as they've been told to do and not do their own thing, it, it does stimulate me, though, to do more for them than I'm already doing for them. So disciples, don't allow yourselves to fret. Don't allow yourselves to be anxious or to worry. Whatever you'd like to refer to it as, don't do that. You just seek my kingdom, my authority, and my righteousness, and I'm telling you, men, everything you need will be provided. You don't have to worry today. You don't have to worry tomorrow. You don't have to worry next week. You don't have to worry ever. I'll take care of you. Now, if we think about that for just a moment, isn't that kind of encouraging? It's kind of encouraging to me, at least, to know if I will seek the, the authority of God in my life and his righteousness, if that is what I am pursuing, it doesn't matter what happens to our economy. God will make sure that my needs are met. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I want to remind us of something very, very important. If I will, listen, if I will pursue the kingdom of God, his authority in my life, and his righteousness, if that is what is number one priority in my life, I'll never be the one who is begging bread. That may be all I'm eating, but I won't have to beg. If I pursue and I seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God, I'll never have to look at my kids and say, we don't have it. We may not have as much as we once had, but I'll never have to look at my children and say to them, we don't have what we need. Because my God will supply all of my needs according to His riches, provided I'm seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. My children and myself and Susie, we will always have our needs met By way of shelter, if I'm seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, we'll always have clothes on our back. I know we need to be reminded of this because we're so spoiled in American culture. It doesn't mean we'll always live in a large home. It doesn't mean that we'll always have a large wardrobe to choose from. It doesn't mean we'll always have the finest of food or whatever it may be that's important to our culture today. But we can know this without a doubt that no matter what should happen in our world, if I have pursued the authority of God in my life and his righteousness, I can know without doubt He will meet my needs. He loves me more than I can begin to understand. And if I, as an earthly father, as a a carnal father, as a sinful father, knows what it means to give good gifts to my children, then how much more does the father spiritually want and desire to give me everything that I need and good gifts and good things? Listen, that's not a prosperity gospel. That is just the word of God, that God loves us so much that he will do these things so long as our attitude is right, so long as our actions are right, so long as we're pursuing these things. But we've got to remember this. This promise is only valid and this promise is only good so long as that is what we are seeking and so long as that is what we are pursuing. See, if I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I do not enjoy the promise that every one of my needs will be met. It's just like if my children's attitude and their actions are not right. You know what they've just done? They have just forfeited certain benefits they now are currently enjoying because of their relationship with me. So you take somebody and they're not pursuing the kingdom of God. They're not pursuing the righteousness of God. That is not a concern to them. That is not their priority. You know what they have done? They have forfeited that promise that God has made available to them. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's something that's crossed my mind on more than a couple of occasions. There are many people, and I know this may sound judgmental to some, but there are many people that if I were them, I'd be scared to death. Because if they ever lost the ability to take care of themselves, God would not be obligated to do so. Because pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness has not been a priority of theirs. What I mean by that is this. If the economy crashed, I believe there'd be some people who identified themselves as believers who would be hungry. Because that need of food would not be met. Well, why would you say such a thing? Because they have not sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if I were them, I'd be worried. There are people, I, 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 I don't doubt this at all, there are people who are constantly in a state of need and they are constantly going without, not because they have to live that way, but because they live in such a way that God will not bless and honor their current way of life. You're going to live in disobedience to me. You're not going to make priority doing what I would have you to do. Your attitude is going to be such. Your actions are going to be such. I'm not going to honor that. I'm not going to take care of that. And and they ought to be very worried knowing that things could get far worse in their life because God's not obligated to spoil them just because they call themselves a believer. Here's the Lord saying, take no thought for the morrow. The morrow will take care of itself. You don't need to worry about next week. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself then. You've got enough to deal with today. Just remember, everything you need will be provided by me if you pursue my kingdom and my righteousness. Again, I know I've said this. I don't know how many times. I, I I get tired of myself saying it sometimes. Okay, so I can only imagine how tired you get here of here, how tired you get of hearing it sometimes. But you know, and I know, in my heart of heart, you know in your heart of heart, what kind of effort we're making to seek His kingdom. And his righteousness. You know the effort that you're putting into this. You know the priority that it is in your life. You know to what extent you are pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know. Just like I know my attitude and my actions, you know your attitude and you know your actions. So based upon your level of commitment to seeking the kingdom of God and seeking his righteousness and making that the number one priority, of, uh, priority in your life. Knowing the extent to which that is true in your life, how much confidence do you have that every need of yours will be met? Should the economy crash based upon your pursuit of godliness today how much confidence do you have that god would meet your every need somebody may say well i'd be fine no no no. how do you know you'd be fine because there could very easily come a day where the only thing we have by way of provision is what god gives us We're already there whether we realize it or not, but I'm saying there could come a day where it was evident that that's the only thing available by way of provision. So you and I know to the extent we're pursuing godliness and righteousness in his kingdom, so how confident are we that all of our needs would be met? Some may be completely confident, and for that, that's a hallelujah. But others may have to sit here and say, man... Based upon the way I'm living right now, my attitude's not right, my actions aren't right, my spirit toward things are not is not what it should be, I would just encourage you, pursue the kingdom of God. Pursue his righteousness. Make that priority. Make that the most important thing in your life so that you can enjoy the promise that everything you will ever need will be taken care of. Let's so all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who pursue your kingdom, who pursue your righteousness. God, that you'd help us to be what you'd have us to be. And I